Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning we're going to be in the parables. And the last time we finished up in Ezra 9 and 10 under the sermon titled Dynamic Influence. And basically, listen, you know this. Influence is, is dynamic. Uh, it goes in one direction or the other. You know, when we're out at our jobs, we're with our families. You know, it's a, it's a Christian walk, but sometimes we, we slip and fall and we bump our heads and we have to get back up again. But on any given moment in our life, we're either influencing others for good, for the Lord, or others are influencing us for good, for the Lord, if we're being mentored or discipled. Uh, it can also go the other way. At any given moment in our life, we could be negatively influenced. We could be negatively influencing someone else. Uh, so influence goes in two directions. And hopefully, you know, it's a good message to get as far as understanding where we need to be as far as being a positive influence. And today, the sermon title is Intro to the Parables. Sounds like a college course or a high school course, you know, <laughs> Intro to Chemistry 101. I still remember those days. But we're going to be doing Intro to the Parables, and I'm really excited about the parables. It's a lot of enigmas, mysteries, puzzles, riddles in there. But Jesus really wanted people to understand the things of God. Now, in Ezra, uh, if you were with us, sometimes I had a, I had a join pair uh, chapters, so Ezra 9 and 10, because they went together. So we covered a lot of information in Ezra in the Old Testament. The blessing here is that we're going to slow down in the parables. We're going to take smaller chunks of Scripture and really try to understand what the Lord is trying to convey in those messages. So I'm really looking forward to this. And basically, there's a, I have an overview, and I do this whenever I cover anything new from the pulpit. question is, what is a parable? What does even the word mean? Well, the word parable is an English transliteration of the Greek word parabole. And that means to literally cast alongside or to place alongside or simply make a comparison. That's what Jesus was doing. He used physical illustrations that everybody could understand regardless of their education level, their socioeconomic level. He used these physical illustrations in the world to convey a spiritual truth. He took a known to decipher an unknown. Sort of like algebra. But this is a lot more fun than algebra. I liked algebra. You know? What is the unknown? What is X? Who knows what X is? You know, you've got to put a bunch of stuff, move money, size of the equation. But Jesus took earthly stories, the, the knowns, to express in his parables a heavenly or spiritual meaning. Why? Because he came from heaven. He came down from heaven to the earth. So it was his, you know, he wanted to for his children, for his creation, to get them to understand what was going on up there and what the afterlife is like. A lot of fun. Where did the parables originate? In the Old Testament. I'll give you three examples. The first one, many of you are familiar with, even unbelievers, people who don't know the Lord, have heard this story of the prophet Nathan who comes to King David and he's committing adultery. And he's, he's not terribly blunt about it, but he draws David in with a parable, and then he says to David, that's you, the rich man who had all these lambs, and he goes to the poor man and steals his only lamb. David, you're the man. So that was a, 
a parable, really, in a sense. And if you remember in school, the Venn diagrams, the circles that kind of intersected, and there was the intersecting subset. But basically, our parables, you have subsets, too. You know, parables are, some of them are very similar to allegories. They're, uh, a lot of them convey a moral story, and we'll look at that. Uh, we also saw uh, in Matthew 13, if we could put that up, 34 through 35, Christ ends up speaking to his disciples, but he fulfills Psalm 78 in the Old Testament, Asaph, speaking about these parables. And again, Christ fulfills it, right? And what does he say in, Psalm, or in Matthew 13, 34? He says that another parable, excuse me, all these parables Jesus spoke to the multitude. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, quote, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So here he's quoting from Psalm 78, but he's fulfilling it. This was part of what he did in his mission in the first century was to give these parables and to explain to the people what they were. Third point from the Old Testament, and I'm very suspicious of church methodology that they really want to do nothing with the Old Testament anymore. It's like God's word ever expires. You know, we were in the book of Ezra for a few months, and we had six or seven people each Sunday, one person at a time, trickle up to the front to receive Jesus. The Old Testament points to Jesus. So, a lot of what we read in the New Testament, we really don't understand unless we understand a little bit of the Old Testament. But the New Testament is a commentary a lot of times on the Old Testament. They're very intertwined. So the third point is Jesus speaks in Matthew 13, 10 through 17, if we could put that up. And he fulfills something Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. And I'll read it to you. The disciples came and said to him, to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? You know, ministries today are so, um, not all of them, a lot of them, they're so desirous of tremendous crowds. They just love the big crowds. Jesus actually had the opposite attitude. He knew that a lot of people in the crowds were coming out, you know, for maybe a free meal or for this or that, but they really, a lot of them weren't interested in the things of God. So what Jesus did is he would speak a certain way to the crowds and then the ones that actually stepped out of the crowds and came forward and said, I want to know more, then he would really elaborate on what you know, the mysteries of God were. So they asked him that question, and he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not yet been given, or it has not been given. For whoever has to him, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Sounds harsh, but I'm going to explain that. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, quote, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed. They have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their heart and turn so that I should heal them. That's God, what he wants to do. He wants to heal, uh, primarily spiritually. He wants us all to get to heaven, to be with him. That's his greatest desire. 
But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And just to explain it a little bit more, Isaiah in Isaiah 6, very powerful portion of Scripture, God reveals himself, whether in a vision or, you know, some way, just like he revealed himself to Moses and many other people. And Isaiah is blown away by what he sees. God is, you got God, you got the angels, and he's just blown away. So God says, well, who's going to go for us? Who's going to do this mission for us? Who's going to talk to the people? And Isaiah says, I'll go, send me. Somewhere in the dialogue, Isaiah says, Isaiah the prophet says to the Lord, well, what's it going to be like? And then he tells him, it's going to be a tough mission. You're going you're to tell them stuff, they're going to hear it, they're going to see it, and they're just going to kind of pretty much blow you off. I mean, this is, this is Joe's <laughs> translation here. But what Isaiah saw was that his ministry wasn't glamorous. And again, today we see a lot of very glamorous ministries. It's all about perfection. It's everything is 100%. It's flawless. But true ministry is not necessarily glamorous. You know what I'm saying? And this is what Isaiah did see. And Jesus also speaks about his day some you know, centuries later that the people in this, the first century were the same way. They were dull. Their heart had grown dull towards God. I want to address something else, which when, when you read the parables, expect this. Expect to read something and go, whoa, I've never read that before, and that's, I'm confused. I don't understand. I thought Jesus was so soft and fluffy. This sounds like a little hard. What is this? You're going to find that in the parables. And a lot of things I think Jesus said to really capture the attention of his hearers. But he says this, basically, he who, he who has will be given in abundance more. He who does not have, even what he has will be taken. Now that sounds anathema to our increasingly socialistic culture. People are shocked when they read that. But understand, he's not talking about material things. And again, you'll hear ministries say, God wants to shower you with new cars, new homes, this, that, and the other thing, and that's really not scriptural. Jesus is speaking about spiritual things. For those who have a desire for God, he's going to fill them. That desire will be filled. As much as you ask of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, God will give you. A lot of times we don't ask. I want to know God more. You know, sometimes that's not our prayer life. God, I need this, that, and the other thing. Christmas is coming. Credit card bill is going to be high. I need, da, 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 da. I need, you know, a benevolence, you know, my rich uncle to make sure he gives me a good gift so I can pay, you know. Sometimes, unfortunately, this is the conversation. But God is saying, I want you to ask for more of me. And I want to give you more of me. Right? For those that have no use for God, even what they have will be taken away. It'll, it'll amount to zero. And that's really an understanding of how culture and or even our own personal sin can just, you know, I'm going to one day, I'm going to get to God, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And life just gets in the way. And before you know it, decades have passed and the interest for God is just not there anymore. That's sad, by the way. That's sad. It's a painful thing to watch. He says them and they, meaning that God doesn't play games with us. It wasn't God who took anything away from these people. It was their own doing. It was their own heart. You see what I'm saying? And the question is, is our heart fertile ground or is it hard and stony ground? We're going to get to that in the parable of the soils, which is a great parable. But they did it to themselves. The Bible's clear. James tells us that God is not the author of sin. He also doesn't tempt to sin. 
He doesn't tempt us. He doesn't push us away. The Bible also says that God desires that no one would be lost, but that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of him. This is the God we serve. So what we see is that the parable cuts in two ways. The parables both reveal and conceal at the same time. God's word is amazing. God's ideas are amazing. God's precepts are amazing. You know, we think one way on the earth, and then Jesus came down and told us, it's not that way in heaven. You know, we think to be leaders, we have to be harsh and over-authoritative. And Jesus says, no, you should serve those that are under you. You know, people scratch their heads when they read the Bible. It makes no sense. Because it makes no sense to us because we're sinful flesh, we're frail. But it makes all the sense in the world to him. Jesus came down to do what? Wash feet? Are you kidding me? The Son of God? But that's, these are some of his things that we have to, concepts that we have to grasp and we have to apply to our lives. So two things. The parables will, number one, pique the interest of the hearers that are willing to decipher the puzzle because they're hungry for spiritual truth. At the same time, the same parable in the same second will also disinterest the hearers who want their ears tickled but don't want to put the time in to decipher spiritual truth because their hearts are hard. If we could put Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 up, you know, the God through the prophet Isaiah likens how his word goes forth like the precipitation cycles. Again, known. You see rain, you see snow. You see water, you see your crops grow in a few days. Water, good. <laughs> so if I read this to you, it basically says in Isaiah 55, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Watch him change directions. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The same message will spiritually awaken the one who is hungry, who is interested, but the same message will spiritually harden another. What category are we in? Did you know that the sun is the sun? <laughs> it does the same thing to everything on the earth. If you have a piece of ice out, the sun will melt the ice. If there's a block of clay out, the sun will harden the clay. It's the same sun. One will melt and one will be hardened. Same sun. But it depends on the medium to which it strikes. Are we the ice or are we the clay this morning? The same parable that works to save one person will also seal the fate of another. Now, before anybody panics, if right now you are panicking inside and you're getting anxiety, then you're not in the troubled camp. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Don't confuse I don't understand with I don't care. Big difference. And if you're struggling this morning and we go through the parables and you're not getting it, I was there too. I didn't come out of my mother's womb preaching the word, trust me. You can ask her next time she's here. It, it took a long time before I came to the Lord. And even when I came to the Lord, it took a long time for, to understand the things of the Lord. But I was hungry. I wanted it. So don't confuse, I don't understand, which some of you may be, with I don't care. Hopefully the ones that are thinking I don't care, hopefully they can be converted to the other group. 
because you're in a troubled place if you're hearing the words of God and you don't care. It has no effect on you. Okay? So, take heart. Take heart. You have your fickle curiosity seekers and you also have your seekers of the things of God. And those that are the seekers of God will start off very slow, but over time they will grow. If we could put up the image for the parables, Jesus would often say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That sounds very odd. It's very odd. Well, that's what ears are for, the Lord. Again, he would say a lot of things that confused people initially until you really started to study it. You see, the ears have no mechanism to stop stimuli from entering it, going through the different bones in the ear and the different you know, uh, pieces, eventually hitting the auditory nerve and then going into the brain. The eyelids, or the eyes, have eyelids. You, know, you watch a scary movie and you just close your eyes. Oh, stimuli is not coming in. Good, I don't want to see it. You know, people close their eyes for fright. But we don't have that on the ears. Once it goes into the brain, though, the brain decides what to do with it. Is it discarded as, you know, noise? Or is it retained as something we find valuable? Right? What do we do with God's Word? Do we dwell upon it and act upon it? Or do we dismiss it? Jesus was focusing on the first group. Right now, we could be hearing what's being said. We could be reading the parables and thinking about what happened this weekend or the project that we have for work or I can't wait to get out of here because I'm hungry. Hurry up, Pastor Joe. I didn't eat a big breakfast. We could be thinking of all kinds of things. (laughs) Or we could be taking it in and rejecting what our body's trying to tell us, rejecting those thoughts that are entering our minds and saying, I really want to focus on what God's Word is here to say to me this morning. I'll leave you with this. Lastly, when it comes to the parables in our overview, one-third of Christ's teachings were in the parables. So if you look at the Scriptures, if you look at the Gospels, and you take 100% of Christ's teachings, about 33% is parables. So it's really important that we understand what the parables mean. So what I'm going to do is we're going to go through a short parable, or illustration for the, for the morning, and then we're going to jump in heavy next Sunday. So I'll leave you with this one. Matthew 5, 13. Matthew 5, 13. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor... How shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Lord uses two illustrations for believers. He uses things that seem to be really completely unrelated. But he hits how we are to conduct ourselves from two different angles. So he uses two things that everybody would understand, bar none in that culture. The first one is salt. Salt is a preservative. It's a preservative. 
And when God puts believers, when God saves believers, when people come to, to Christ, he wants them to do something. Not to just sit on our laurels and say, okay, one day I'm going to go to heaven. A preservative. Well, I don't think we have to go far to see that we live in a very decadent culture. You know, sometimes believers, as in King Josiah, I actually named my son after him, he actually, because he was such a good preservative, he staved off judgment. God was going to judge his people. And he told Josiah, because your heart is for me, because you're making these reforms, because you're getting people to understand the word, there was like a great revival. He said, basically, I'm going to stave off my judgment on Judah. That's powerful. You know, I think sometimes as Christians, we, again, we look at the big, whether it's in the church or the world, we look at the crowds and we think, I'm insignificant. No, you're not. The devil wants you to believe that. But even the individual person that's praying can make a difference in the world. And I don't think a lot of people realize, wow, you mean we can actually do that? Stave off judgment? There's a lot of things that we can do. And when you personally work with somebody and tell them about the Lord and they start to come to the Lord, you've just saved them from judgment. I don't think we realize how powerful that is. So that's salt. The other image is light. Light illuminates. It exposes. It has this uncanny ability to show the truth. If you walk into your house and it's completely dark, bumping into things, tripping over things, ah, I thought the easy, easy chair was over there. I mean, how many times have we stubbed our feet? I've done it. Bam, there goes the toes. It's always the little toes. Oh, man. <laughs> but, but the truth is, you've turned the light on first. There's a good chance you're not going to do that. Because you know where everything is. You know where the toys are left on the floor. You know where the dog bones are. You don't step in whatever. But light, right, light illuminates, and that's what we're to be in this culture. We're to, to illuminate. We should have the truth, and we should be sharing the truth in a loving way. But he uses salt and light to express how believers should positively have a preserving influence on a spiritually decadent world and culture. And that's very fitting since we just talked last Sunday about dynamic influence. So salt. Well, today we have refrigeration. So today we usually use it for, oh, this needs salt. You know, the stew needs salt. And I've got to be honest with you, I've, I got turned on to pink Himalayan salt. <laughs> I sound like a commercial. Look, pink Himalayan salt. Uh, so, but it's so good for you. It's got such minerals in it, and it so, really wakes up the flavor of food. I'm, I'm done with the bleach salt. I mean, <laughs> once you're turned on to the good stuff, you, you don't want the bleach stuff anymore. But back then, it was used not only for flavor, and they had more natural salt back then, right? Uh, but it was also used as a preserving influence. I'll, I'll go through four characteristics. Number one, salt was valuable. Salt was precious. Did you ever hear the expression, a, per a person is not worth their salt? And it's amazing how these expressions come into our vernacular over hundreds, even thousands of years. But basically, sometimes Roman soldiers, they were paid with different mediums. Today we use electronic money and paper money, coinage. Uh, back then they had various forms of money that were just as valid. The Roman soldiers at times were paid with salt. That's how valuable salt was. And that's where that expression comes from. But salt is precious. Salt is valuable. You know that we're also precious to God. And he values us. 
And He values us so much that He desires us to be, to, to be used by Him. That's impressive if you think of who God is. What is he? he doesn't really need us, but He desires to use us. Like I always think, wouldn't it be better if angels preached the Gospel? They're not probably you know, taken over by pride and sleeplessness and all the things that affect you know, or, or tripping over our words. But He chooses frail human beings. So if you're ever wondering, you're valuable. Right? He desires to use us in ministry and to bring others to salvation. The second thing about salt was salt added flavor or life or zest to food. And as Christians, we should be adding flavor and life to the conversation of the culture. And it shouldn't be based on our opinion. Sometimes as Christians, we could be a little bit too opinionated. What we say should be based on God's wisdom, His Word, the message of true hope in the world. And the only true hope is through Jesus Christ. You know, I, I think it's just a good thing for us to engage in the conversation of the culture. And, and I read a lot of articles and about church and pastors read, write stuff. And, you know, they make some good points about how we, sometimes in Western Christianity, we've kind of cloistered ourselves in the, into the four walls of the church. And, you know, that's, that's sacred. And, but, but then the world is having conversations. You know, the world is, is you know, and, and I love unbelievers. I have a lot of people I know that aren't saved. They're involved in the education system. They're involved in politics. They're involved in the courts. And Christians sometimes are afraid to venture out into those areas. They're afraid to venture out into academia. I think we should. You know, I, I enjoy debating. Um, maybe it's a flaw, but I, I think I enjoy arguing a little bit too much too. But I like to say to people, try to win me to your side. Let me try to win you to mine. Let's have a discussion. Let's see where we end up. It's good to have these discussions, right? Isaiah uh, 1, God says, come let us reason. God gave us a big brain. He wants us to use it. Come let us reason. God wants us, He doesn't want us to check our mind at the door when we come to church. If I say something that you're concerned about, challenge me. Send me an email. We don't take offense to any of that stuff. But salt added flavor. Three, salting foods back then slowed or stopped the putrefying or the rotting process, especially in meats. And if you study science, it's a process called osmotic dehydration. And you salt the food that you're interested in, in preserving, salt it, salt it, salt it. And what it does is it actually pulls through osmosis, it pulls the water content out of that food. And what that does is it makes it inhospitable for the bacteria to live in. It also helps to break down the DNA of the bacteria. So it's amazing. Science catches up with the scripture. Uh, Jesus said a certain thing, and back then we didn't have the materials to know all this, but we do now. Science always catches up with the Scripture. Scripture came first. So we went from algebra, now we're in biology. <laughs> I love biology. <laughs> but Christians are supposed to be a preserving influence in the culture through uh, exhibiting God's Word in our lives and our character to espouse it when need be and to giving, giving the life-saving gospel. And what is that? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever, anyone. God did not, uh, John 3.17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him, through Christ, the world might be saved. That was God's picture. He sent His Son to save the world. That's the Gospel. You know? I mean, 
as much as I know now, I would never try to get to heaven without the Lord Jesus. That would be crazy. It would be futile. Um, it's, it's not a good thing to gamble with. People don't want to gamble with their savings, with their IRAs and their retirement, but they'll gamble with their salvation, their eternal retirement. I don't get that. Well, you know, I'll just worry about that when it happens. That's a bad idea. Would we apply that to aeronautics and building an airplane? Well, we'll see when it gets up in the air, if it stays up there. Hey, that's great. When's the next flight? You know what I'm saying? Nah, not me. I want to know that that thing's made 100%. The, the surgeon. Well, you know, I, I saw this on, on YouTube on how to do the surgery for you, but I've never really done it before. Thank you very much. I'm going to go somewhere else. But, <laughs> but the gospel, you know, the life-saving gospel, very important. And folks, sometimes it's also to push back on a decadent culture, you know? To, to use our reason, to use what the scripture says. Four, salt lost its properties. When it lost its properties, if it lost its properties, it was thrown out onto the beaten path and trampled underfoot by men. It had become useless. Unfortunately, there are carnal Christians and selfish Christians, and they spend so many pursuits on themselves. Their whole lifestyle is about them. It's an ego-driven lifestyle. And they're really not useful. That doesn't mean they're losing their salvation. It just means that, it just means that, you know, because of their free will and their stubbornness, God's not going to use them. And it's a shame because when they get to heaven, I, I think there'll be a disappointment. But Jesus put that there because it's important. You know, and here's a little caveat to new believers. If you're a new believer, don't worry about what I just said. Just enjoy your relationship with the Lord. Grow. Don't force it. Take your time, get to know him, get to know his word, you know, and, and when God is ready, he will show you little things that you could be doing and, and he'll be gentle with you. You know, some people panic. They think I'm going to become a Christian. God's going to make me do, he's going to make me a missionary to this remotest place where there's no plumbing and there's no, believe me, missionaries don't go there because they hate going there and God's forcing them. They go there because they have a burden for the lost and this is something they desire to do. If you really don't want to go, you won't last long as a missionary. But God is a gentle God. He's gentle with us. I know for me, I was really excited and I wanted to do a whole lot and he basically was like pulling the leash, going, you're not ready. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just throttle it down a little bit, downshift, you know. But anyway, so light, let's move on to light. Light, we use it for necessity, but we also use it for decoration. You know, you see light displays, Christmas times, some of them are so gaudy. <laughs> I drive by and go, oh, I'm so glad that's not my neighbor. <laughs> anyway, so light can be used for a lot of different things. Back then, it was a necessity because there was no electricity. You needed light. There were no street lamps. If you traveled, you had to make sure that you had oil in your lamps. Otherwise, the light goes out. It's pitch dark. You don't know where you're going, and you're in the middle of nowhere. They didn't have GPS and stuff like that. You know, really cool phones that you can turn it around and it tells you where north is. Um, they had to go by light. They went by the stars as well, but you know, that was a very important part of their lives. So a few things about light. Number one, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. I need to stop there. I thought Jesus was the light of the world. He is. But when we walk with him, we can't help but to shine his light. Right? We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is... He's with us. He's, he's, he's a part of us. 
Um, you know, we're born again, we walk with him, we have a relationship with him. A, a very interesting, and my mind went back to Exodus 34. Some of you know this passage. When Moses goes up before the people, and he goes up by himself to Mount Sinai, and he's fellowshipping with God, he comes down from the mountain, and the Israelites were a little taken aback. I think he ends up putting a veil over his face to stop weirding him out a little bit, but Moses comes down from the mountain, and his face is glowing. It's glowing. And the people are like, they're, they're startled. But you know why it was glowing? It wasn't because he got sunburned. It was glowing because he was in fellowship with the Lord God. And God is so amazing and so glorious that it couldn't help that Moses received some of that as an after effect. Uh, but you know, when we're with Jesus, people do notice a difference about us. You know, when we are believers, when we trust in the Lord, when we walk with the Lord, people will notice. A lot can be said about facial expressions. You know, when you wear that joy on you, and it doesn't mean we're always walking on, on clouds. As Christians, we have our ups and downs. But he said, you are the light of the world. We reflect, we radiate his light to the world. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. Number two, uh, for them back then, Light was for safety and security when traveling at night and also um, trying to just move through your house and negotiate your way through your house. They would often have these little lamps at different parts of the rooms that would give its light. So if somebody got up in the middle of the night, they would be able to see where they were going. So they wouldn't get lost. So they wouldn't get injured. And you know, light, spiritual light, is to keep people from getting lost is to keep people from being eternally separated from God, is to keep people from being cast into outer darkness. Light, the gospel as well. It's the only way, it's the only cure for sinful humanity to find hope, to find eternity with God. Third, our light is supposed to shine before men. It says it cannot be hidden. And good works, there's a good works component. So, you know, if there was a city on a hill, it, you know, the city was built on a hill and, and a lot of the area was, was rural or it was wilderness, as you got within a mile or so from that city, it stood out, right? It stood out. It was obvious. He also speaks about the lamp, you know, when you light a lamp back then. Again, it was oil, wick, uh, rudimentary type of mechanism and it would be put on a table or a high spot, so the light would, would cast throughout the house. It was, it was good light placement. You see what I'm saying? So you could see what you were doing. Um, and our, the, the, the counterpart for us is, in a spiritual way, is that our dealings, our works, our character should stand out. Now, the caveat to that is that we don't force it. You know, and, and it's... I think every Christian goes through a phase. Like they're not really sure. They're finding themselves. And sometimes they force it. There's it, a pretendness about what they're doing. And that's easy to see. Um, it's just something that should naturally happen. In John 15, Jesus spoke about bearing fruit naturally as believers. We, we bear spiritual fruit. It just happens. You know, a tree doesn't stress. You know, we have a few trees that... In our, in our uh, property, we have buds, we have flowers, we have some fruit trees. And I, I never see the trees stressing. The fruit just naturally, one day, it just pops out and it starts to grow and it ripens. Or the flowers, the buds, 
The tree's not stressing out over its fruit. It just happens naturally. It's the way God designed it. And to glorify the Father in heaven. Again, as I said in prayer, when we try to take glory, it's, it's a fire that's unruly. It'll burn us. Glory is only meant for God. And as believers, we always, even when we get complimented, not to let it build us up with pride, not to let us inflate our egos, but to just give it back to the Lord. Okay, continuing on. The fourth part about light is that uh, natural light, just to say this, not only blesses us with health benefits, you know about the benefits with vitamin D, especially in the, in the months when the sun and the earth are on a different trajectory, but ultraviolet light has a sanitizing uh, component to it. And it works by breaking down and mutating the DNA and bacteria and viruses. Probably the healthiest thing um, when you wash your clothes is, you know, you see the old clotheslines. And people are going back to that. And when it's really sunny, and you put those clothes on the clothesline, the UV light helps to break down a lot of that bacteria and viruses. It's actually pretty impressive. Um, and conversely, God's truths, His wisdom, His word breaks down the lies that are perpetrated in our culture. And that's where apologetics is important. I'm big on apologetics. That we as Christians understand why we believe what we believe so that we can give an honest testimony, an honest debate, or if we're confronted in a, in a peaceful way or a hostile way that we're able to share what we believe. That's what apologetics is all about. Um, so, you know, that's, it, it has a sanitizing effect, Right? And it's amazing how we take things from what God created and some man or woman you know, makes an invention and says, look, I created the first whatever. They actually have UV lamps now that are sanitizing lamps that are used indoors. Look, I created the first UV lamp. Uh, no, you didn't. God did. <laughs> you just modeled it after him. But <laughs> let's see, what else do we have here? Uh, actually, five, light brings heat. You know, a candle, you can get your hands burned on a small flame. A candle has heat. Fireplace has heat, the sun has heat, light brings heat and warmth. And as Christians, I believe that we're, we should be warm to others, you know, even if it's, uh, you know, I try to smile a lot, even when I'm having a, somebody's challenging me. I try not to come off as hostile, um, you know, because the truth is I want them to be saved. It's not about winning an argument. So we should be warm as well. You know, our personality should be warm, especially in church. You know, new people come in to be warm to them, to let them know that you, know, you, you notice them come in. It's important. Uh, six, light being for illumination. Mark 4, Luke 8, and Luke 11 all tell us that the secrets and the mysteries will eventually be brought to light and exposed. And I would say that um, unrepentant, dark conspiracies and secrets and you know, probably a lot of things that, that go on in the world that get covered up that we don't know about, it's going to be brought to the light. I believe that. So expose, illuminate with truth, save through the gospel. You know, God wants us to be a good example. And I just want to encourage anybody here this morning, if you're a Christian and maybe you, you lost your way a little bit, maybe you, things got stale, maybe you know, you've moved away from the Lord, I want to encourage you that God always wants us to get back on the bus. You know, he wants us to get back on the platform uh, when he's doing a work, he can use us. You know, sometimes it's us. We're, well, it, it's always us. It's never him. But he's always in the same spot. But we become stubborn. We get stagnant. We let things in life throw us off. But God wants us 
to do this. He wants us to have joy doing it. Uh, he wants us to enjoy doing it. Right? So I'll leave you with this. Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And again, for those that are hearing this morning on the podcast, on a CD, you're hearing. It's going in. Right? It's traveling up your auditory nerve to your brain. One group will take it, take it to heart. They'll apply it. Another group will forget by the time they get home. And they'll just move on with their life. Eh, somebody invited me. Mm, I wasn't that interested. It's God's Word. This isn't Joe's philosophy. This is God's Word. I didn't write this. You know what I'm saying? But I believe in it. And I believe in it to my last breath. It's God's Word. It's got power. I believe the series on the parables will not only challenge someone who's currently an unbeliever, but will also challenge believers in what they believe about God, what they believe about eternal things, and how they're willing to be part of the solution. Sometimes we get caught up in, well, sometimes Christians get caught up in, instead of really just digging into the Scripture, instead of seeking out real Bible-based teachings, they just... They just kind of go off and they'll listen to this on, on the social media. They'll click onto this on YouTube. And they have this hodgepodge of teachings. It's not backed by Scripture. And in their minds, they get confused. They have all these ideas about God and, and Jesus, and, and they're wrong. You know, they're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. So the parables are good because Jesus really, it, he gets our attention, and then he elaborates and he espouses the truth for those that are interested in knowing the truth and learning the truth. And I'm sure that whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, that this series will profoundly help to grow and change us more into what God wants us to be if our spiritual ears are open to hear. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.